I like the question that we ask everyone, Hunter or Central Coast, if you had to pick. <laughs> Little known fact uh, that I'm a horse person. Oh, nice. Uh, and I actually used to ride track work a bit when I was a young person. I think you're winning this. However, <laughs> however uh, I am a beach person, so uh, I will say. So oh. I, I might just, you know, say for the purposes of this. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dan and the Doctor, the third episode of Dan and the Doctor. And we are here with Zoe Daniels, and we'll be discussing everything from singing in the car, a bit of cold chisel, all the way to Venezuela and the Philippines. So thank you for, for coming on the show, Zoe. Oh, thank you. I feel very privileged. We're privilege is a big word. Yeah. That's a big, <laughs> we're privileged to have you with us. That's so, a generous word, I think. Very, very generous, generous word. word. The, the first crossbencher we've had on this yep. and the first non-Labor member. So we're looking forward to really hearing a bit about you, Zoe. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first things first, you've lived a very amazing life. You've had some some great things uh, that you've done. Um, and you were a foreign correspondent, which we find really cool, because um, neither of us can spell correspondent. So, <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, what was that like? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, hectic, um, but yeah, no, look, I, I was really lucky with my journalism career. I was a foreign correspondent for about half of my 27 year career with the ABC, three different postings. The first one was Africa, so that was 48 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, then Southeast Asia, so nine countries across Southeast Asia, initially in Cambodia and then Thailand. And then I was US Bureau Chief for the ABC. So I covered the election of Donald Trump and the Trump administration. Yeah, right. Um, and so I've been, I mean, I've done everything from obviously global politics to um, civil unrest to conflict, refugee camps, natural disasters, mm. plane crashes, terrorist attacks, mass shootings, you know, the, the sort of full um, gamut of the uh, ups and downs of humanity, actually. And uh, there's a lot of things that are learnt through that process. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing, amazing thing to be part of with you doing that. Can you pinpoint, is there one thing out of the whole lot of that time that sticks with you the most? I hope it's not Trump. <laughs> well, Trump, I mean, I have to be honest, four years of covering Donald Trump kind of ended my journalism career. Once I got back from being US bureau chief, I was like, OK, I'm done with this. Um, and then you got into the parliament. Yeah, that's right. That? Well, that's a... be, because I was so concerned about fragmentation yeah. of democracy and trust and truth as a result of Trump. So that was mm. a big motivator. But yeah. the... The biggest thing that sticks with me it was a typhoon in the Philippines in 2013. At that time, it was the biggest ever storm in the world. Um, it hit the central Philippines and I landed in a city called Tacloban uh, the next day. And it was a city of 200,000 people that had just been flattened. It's on a peninsula. So there was in effect a tsunami as a result of the storm surge um, and thousands of people were killed. Uh, it was just absolutely horrendous scene um, and it really it affected me a lot um, but it also was another motivator around climate policy that mm. sort of you know got me thinking a lot really triggered a lot of thinking around policy change um, and those sorts of things of course that it doesn't leave you you know landing on a um, Philippines Air Force C-130 uh, into you know a disaster zone with people just shell-shocked 
bodies everywhere, mm. no food, no water, no communications, no electricity, um, and chaos, and, and a real breakdown of um, law and order too. Like you start to realise the fragility of our systems. Um, you know, we, we were staying in one of the few houses that were still standing and we had to keep moving because there were militias shooting each other in the streets to get food and, mm. you know, things can collapse very quickly in that kind of environment. Yeah, full on, full yeah. on. And mm. yeah, and then as you said, things like that never leave you. Yeah, seeing, seeing devastation like that. Yeah. So you would have done thousands of flights all over the world. <laughs> yes. And we hear little rumours around the place that you're not particularly fond of flying. So how does someone who is a foreign correspondent be scared of flying? Yeah, it's a really weird thing, isn't it? Maybe it's just because <clears> I'm a <throat> bit of a control freak. Um, <laughs> so, And I sort of developed a fear of flying, you know, in my early 20s, um, having been on a couple of rough flights. And mm. then I, I realised that it was really going to inhibit what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I went and did a fear of flying course with Qantas, um, which helped. But then, I mean, since then, I've that particular trip to, into the Philippines, the uh, Air Force cargo plane was going and my cameraman and I, were, we had to get on it. And we had a Filipino fixer who negotiated with the military for us to get on the plane. And they said, yeah, okay, fine, get on. And we had to stand up in the sort of hold of this C-130. They had a car, four-wheel drive, sitting on a pallet in the middle of the aircraft. And everyone was just standing um, while the plane was flying down to the disaster zone. And as we took off, the, the car started rolling down the aircraft and the soldiers said, hold! And we all just held the car until the plane levelled out oh. and then off we went. The um, team effort. That, that, <laughs> that kind of thing. But of course, like Sierra Leone, you know, Russian uh, helicopters um, with wires hanging out everywhere and all those sorts of things. I mean, since then, since that course, I've flown all over the world in absolutely ridiculous circumstances. South Sudan as well, doing that sort of spiral to land so you don't get shot out of the sky by um, the the militant groups below. I mean, yeah. it, it was sort of like from one extreme to the other, but I, I think I got over it, basically. I right. had to. You really yeah. had no choice. <laughs> Rarely am I struck for words and questions, but I am right now. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. <laughs> yes. So on a, on a, a slightly lighter note, so you've been to all these countries, mm. all these continents, all these places, um, what's the most obscure food that you've ever eaten? We talk about tin chicken and prawn toast and Dan's inability to eat cake. Yeah. What's your, what's like the, the most obscure food that you've eaten overseas? Um, <clears throat> whale blubber in Alaska, um, oh, really? in the Arctic, actually. I yeah. wouldn't have thought that was going to be the case. No, no, <laughs> not, not, not a million yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, that. the other one that comes to mind is um, red ant soup in Thailand. It's actually quite nice. Um, was it? Yeah. Was it just the herbs and spices they put know, in with it or like was it a, the just ants? just sort of a stock with ants floating around in it, but it's surprisingly tasty. Spicy? Okay. Um, yeah, a little bit spicy, a bit of chilli, a bit yeah, of right. Thai basil, yep. a few ants. They're kind oh, of crunchy. We should get amongst that. Yeah, we should give that. Yeah. Sounds like that would be. A, we should film that. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. yeah I what think about so. the blubber? So was it nice? Um, so this was for a story that uh, we did on the Trump administration wanting to <clears throat> drill for oil and gas in the um, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in northern Alaska, which is its pristine area. Um, 
and you know, in keeping with my interest in climate, but also very good story. Um, and the, the local people are allowed to hunt a limited number of whales, yep. um, indigenous people. Um, and yeah, we did some filming with them and they introduced me to whale blubber. Uh, and I was pretty, I had, to, I had to eat it on camera, of course, because that's the whole point. Um, <laughs> Naturally. Kind of, kind of tasted <laughs> like Vegemite. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Kind of like Vegemite. Uh, Seriously. So you didn't have a second piece? (laughs) Vegemite is delicious. I love Vegemite. You don't want to throw up when you're being filmed. (laughs) And is it like, what's the consistency? Is it like? It's fermented. It's fermented. Because obviously, traditionally, um, you know, they would take the number of whales that they're allowed to in a Mm. season, three or four or whatever it is, and they would sort of ferment it and store it to get them through incredibly harsh winters. I mean, this is, um, unfortunately now, the permafrost is melting and, you know, the mm. polar bears are scrabbling around on gravel because there's no sea ice. But um, the the Indigenous people still do that. So they ferment the, the whale and then they store it and they eat it through the, the winter. Yeah, nice. While we're on the topic of food, what is your favourite food? Oh, Please gosh. don't say fish like our previous <laughs> previous uh, person. I, I reckon fish is my favourite food. But have you been any more boring with that <laughs> fish? Mate. Um... Guess, Dan. Guess, <laughs> guess, guess. Previous, previous guess. guess. Sorry, previous <laughs> guess. Bacon. Bacon. Ba- oh, that is the most versatile <laughs> meat out of all meats. You reckon? Ba- yeah, bacon is amazing. I do love bacon. You can do so bacon, much with bacon, it. Bacon, bacon, bacon. It's a breakfast, lunch bacon. and dinner yeah. food. It really is. Also, and to be eaten in the middle snack, of the night out yeah, of the fridge. exactly yeah. right. And oh, yeah. it just lifts a dish. It know? does. Throw a bit a of dish. <laughs> throw yeah. a bit of diced bacon in anything. <laughs> Into the ants. In the ants. Curry thing. Yeah, it's it. But you could have Brussels sprouts. You put bacon with it. It's good. Exactly. Brussels sprouts are delicious then, aren't they? Yeah. We fight over bacon in my house. My kids love it too. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you can hear arteries hardening from here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I do need to lose some weight. No, so you I need don't. to get off no, the bacon. You look good. You're an elite athlete. You look Everything good. in that's moderation, right. I say. Yeah, that's, that's exactly yeah. right. Moderation is key. And <laughs> I struggle with moderation. I hear you. hear Yes, well, we, we exist in a sort of all or nothing environment here, don't we? We do. We certainly do. Yeah. So we've just sort of brought up Parliament and things like that now. How did you get involved in this? So foreign correspondent, you said you've seen how the world changed Mm. and you also spent time with Trump. Mm. How how did you actually say, well, I want to go and do something about this? So I kind of got to that point in my career where I thought, well, I've done all these things and they should be useful to do something else. And after 27 years of doing that, and also, I mean, I was on call 24-7 for 15 years. So I could be out, you know, having dinner or going for a run and I'd get a call saying, get on the plane now. You know, it's not really sustainable, especially as you get older and I've got teenage children now. So I decided to leave journalism. I wrote a book on Trump. I started my own company, actually, um, largely training chief executives in communication, especially sort of crisis communication and having honesty in in communication and having confidence in that. And then a friend of mine came to me and said, "Um, would you like to run as an independent for Goldstone? And I said, there's no way we can win that seat, not a chance in hell. Um, But let's talk to the community (laughs) organisation that's organising this. It's just a grassroots group called Voices of Goldstone. And... um, then they asked me to run and I said, no chance, no, can't win the seat. 
And also, I'm not doing that. Politics is toxic and revolting, especially for women. But then they just persisted for about three months. Eventually, I gave in. Sounds like my nan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but also my kids. Um, and so my son's now almost 17, but obviously this is a couple of years ago. He said, you know, someone's got to do it for us. You know, someone's got to get in there and, and do it because, you know, everything's going to hell, basically. Um, yep. So, yeah. And yeah, then stuff. what happened, you know? Zoe Daniels stripping Goldstein from Liberal hands for the first time. 122 years of uh, safe Liberal seat, never had a female member. And we won the seat. That's, yeah. that's a long time. That's a long time, yeah. <laughs> a long time. After this week, I feel 120 years old. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've aged about 100 years since the election, to be fair. But, yeah. And the main have you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I really enjoy it. It's actually, it has some similarities to journalism. It, you know, having to sort of understand things quickly, respond to evolving circumstances, um, be able to sort of cut to the heart of an issue, um, ask, ask the right questions, you know, process information, listen to people, you know, really actively engage with people. A lot of that's very similar. Mm. Um, it's sort of the other side of, of the same coin in yeah. many ways. Um, I'm sure both of you would agree that, you know, it's full on. It's, it is a 24-7 job, um, but that's fine. Yeah. I like to call it a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not many there's not many jobs you do where you're generally trying to help people every day where you can make such a big difference in their lives. Yeah, and, and we can do that from our elected officers from being in this building here as well. Like it is we I I'm I feel I'm so lucky to be here. Oh, totally. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's not as if you get up and go, Oh, I've got to go to work today. It's not kind of like a normal no. job in that sense because the main part of the job is going and talking to people and listening to people and interacting with people and giving them time um, and then trying to translate those issues and needs into policy. Mm. Um, and I think that for me and sort of us, the, the collective uh, crossbench, you know, it's also just been a really interesting exercise and learning curve. And I think for the the major parties as well because um, it's a bit different with a larger crossbench mm. and a different kind of uh, person, you know, a group of professional women who are, and I think all of those women on the crossbench, including myself, you know, we're, we're genuinely there just to try to help and collaborate and make better policy. It's not, it's not combative. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's been quite a process for, for the government too, to realise like, but if we're sitting down at a table, it's not transactional. It's just how can we make this better? Yep. Yeah, it's been interesting. Can only be good. That's it. Mm. Can only be good. Can only be good. Um, I lost my train of thought. You have to cut this, mate. <laughs> you have to cut this. No. I was literally about to roll into something we've, else. We've been on this path before where they're going to cut it, but they don't. Then they don't. Then they don't. <laughs> and they embarrass us in front of thousands of people. Exactly it's good. Right. It's great. The, uh, we do that for the viewers. The viewers for the viewers. Yeah, the viewers yeah, they do love, love it. Yes. Now, um, have you been to the Hunter of the Central Coast? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, so I, when I first started working for the ABC, I uh, lived and worked in Kempsey yeah. in, on the mid-north coast of New South Wales and then Lismore. Yeah. Um, but, so I've spent quite a lot of time working between Sydney and um, 
northern New South Wales yeah. for, for several years early in my career. So like the question that we ask everyone, Hunter or Central Coast, if you had to pick. <laughs> well, Obviously, the Central Coast is a beautiful place, beautiful beaches, pristine environment. Um, and the Hunter, may I say, best wines in the world here. Actually, have been told we have the best wines in the world and won trophies saying that. You keep we saying that, We have fantastic restaurants, <laughs> golf courses, beautiful agriculture, some of the best horse studs in the world. What an amazing local member like, you are. It's such we a good have sell. so he's much. Good, we have, good, what about good. the lake? We didn't even bring up the lake yet. <laughs> biggest, biggest saltwater lake in the southern hemisphere. Uh, it is just a tourist mecca. Well, so... Uh, <laughs> Did you practice that in front of the mirror before we started this? <laughs> I, I am a beach person, See, there you go. I will say. Oh, um, however, <laughs> however, a little known fact uh, that I'm also a horse person. Oh, nice. Uh, and I actually used to ride track work a bit when I was a young person. I think you're winning, winning. Um, I think you're winning this. So I might just, you know, say for the purposes of this, the hunter. Oh, <laughs> we'll have a high five oh, for that one. Thank you. No. The first <laughs> boom, you're, the first you're boom killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> and so let's get back to the track work. I have some questions around this. So you're a taller Yes, lady. too tall. So that. how did you go doing track work? No, it's really challenging. Uh, riding in a in a jockey pad um, at my height, so I'm about 5'10", is really hard, yep. uh, which is probably why I didn't, you know, take it up as a career option. Yes. Um, but I, I grew Probably up in Tasmania. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in Tasmania and I had ponies and um, horses and I used to three-day events and show jump and all the rest of it. So that was the the lifestyle that I had as a kid and, um, you know, new people who had racehorses and mm. we just sort of, we all mucked in. That was, yeah, good. that was life in the seventies and eighties. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Were you getting paid for your track work or was it all, uh, uh, no, I don't no. think I was. It was probably, yeah. Should have called in the unions, shouldn't yeah. I? <laughs> Definitely get the union involved that one. That Every time. Yeah. <laughs> union strong. God, last time I got on a horse, it was a Clydesdale. I'm sure its knees buckled. <laughs> well, I don't go on them deliberately because I don't want I don't want the RSPCA to come to my house. So it'll cause some issues. <laughs> yes. Well, um, you know, the the views of horse racing now are quite, quite different to what they were when I was growing up. But... Um, yeah, it, w it was a good life growing up in Tassie with horses. And I think, um, you know, I wonder whether our kids now are as resourceful as we were growing up in that kind of era. I mean, yeah. I used to get dropped off at the at the farm at 7.30 in the morning and picked up at 6.30 at night when it was dark. And it was like, well, if you fall off, you just get back on. Right, exactly <laughs> right, yeah. It's different now, isn't it? And yeah. What technology's caught up and yeah. things like that, and kids do things differently, and yeah. it's a different world. Like we, as parents, I know with my eight and ten-year-old daughters, mm. I wouldn't let them go out and do what I used to do. No, no way. I used to go out when the streetlights, as long as I was home, while the streetlights were on, exactly. roughly, roughly. Yeah, I didn't always stick to it, but uh, as they were, I was okay. So, but there's no way now I'd let my daughters do that now. No, well, I, I have my kids on um, Life three hundred and sixty, you know, so I can see where they are. The stalker. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, good. actually, there's there's goods and bads about that because sometimes you can see where they are and you're thinking, why are you there? <laughs> you do that, Dan? No, I don't have that. So my girls don't have phones or anything oh. just yet, so there's nothing. It's an air tag on the backpack. That. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have kids yet, so. No, no, no not yet, yeah. not yet. Yeah. No, not, uh, not responsible enough yet. No. Got to grow into it. I still feel I'm not, but I have a very responsible wife, so that yeah. makes it makes it much better. Thank you, Alex.
for all the work you do with the girls <laughs> and looking after me. <laughs> now, um, the shoes, the colours, tell me about that. Tell uh, me about those shoes, they're fantastic. Well, I, I think there's been a bit of a shoe revolution in Parliament I for women. So. Yeah. Uh, really, when you've got four minutes to get to the chamber when the bells ring, mm. if you're in heels, that is very problematic, yeah. especially on the Sub stairs. Suboptimal. Suboptimal. Sub yeah. yeah, so I haven't put on a pair of heels all week this week. I've just been running around in my rainbow runners. And I did. I bought them um, for Victorian Pride March. They're right. Um, Good work. Back, you know, just after the election. So, yeah, nice. Yeah. You, the ladies in the chamber, I feel, are very, very lucky because they get the dress differently, accessorise with so many different things, actually wear shoes. And not boots. Or, or Don't say so short, Dan. Look, look at those wear. pants. Yeah, I know. I try and bring it out in the suits. All that we can do, all we can accessorise with is our ties or our socks. There's not much else we've got, but you ladies can accessorise with so much. It's well, quite nice. I, I'm told that actually the runners thing started with Tanya Plibersek when she had a ankle injury or something, and she started wearing runners in the chamber, and it's kind of gone from there. So oh, that's fair enough. enough. And there's yeah. some bling. There's some bling going around on the runners at the moment. There really is. They have some flash yeah. runners. Or oh, Tanya's shoes. Yeah, Tanya's the shoes. Yeah. Isn't oh yeah, very nice. Yeah, Louise Miller Frost. She's yeah. got the sparkly ones as yeah. well. Yeah, Michelle and Anna Raja. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. got some pretty cool yeah. shoes yeah. too. I, so. I do have another pair which are um, mm. heel sparkles, and I just bring those out for special occasions. Well, maybe you'll have to send us through a picture of those so we can just show the <laughs> show the viewers. Um, so your dad. Yes. Football player, mm -hmm. AFL player, mm -hmm. the real game, may I say. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Gordon. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> grew up in Melbourne, so I'm riding AFL too. Love the NRL as well, for all the NRL fans out there as well. But <laughs> um, it is just uh, your father played for Essendon. You How did? many games for Essendon? 100. 100, spot on, finished on the ton. Yes. Good on him. Yeah. Kicked quite a few goals as well. He, he was a forward and then he ended up at fullback. Uh, in an era of incredible full forwards. So, you know, it was a tough gig being the full back in the sort of Jezelenko, Peter Hudson kind of era of VFL, AFL football. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I was born in Essendon Memorial Hospital. Uh, we lived in a flat at Windy Hill. Dad was a footy player and I've I pretty much, apart from horse riding, I grew up in football change rooms or sort of sitting at the bar in the club while Dad was training, drinking, you know, raspberry and lemonade and eating Sandboy chips. Right. Nothing <laughs> wrong with a raspberry lemonade. I do like a fire engine. That's yeah, good. Yeah, but I, and, we love our footy in our family. Yeah, my and, kids are into it too now. And does the whole family go for Essendon? So my husband is a St Kilda supporter for his sins. Um and on my daughter's first birthday, uh, the Saints were playing in the grand final. And I said, OK, if they win, you can have her. And of course, history will show that they didn't. They didn't win. Yeah. So three of us are bombers and daddy is the Saint. Fair enough. What well, are you doing? I'm Western Bulldogs. So yeah, right. fan of Western Bulldogs. Yeah. Was lucky enough to go to the grand final in 2016. And speaking of finals... Essendon has been a long time. So do you think they're going to make the final this year, or finals this year? Because they haven't, they haven't won a finals game in 17 years. I, I have little optimism left. I, I continue to pay my membership dutifully. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I can't Fair figure enough. it out. It's very depressing. Yep. Yeah. That's all right. Then. <laughs> I won't judge too much on this. I'll be nice. 
I can feel your judgment. I, there's so many places I can go with this, but I'm not going to upset the fans. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and look, just a, just a bit of a final note. Um, Dan and I consider ourselves uh, a bit of choir boys. We sing every now and then and uh, have a bit of tunes. And we hear that you like to sing, Zoe. Is that I, right? I am a terrible singer. Right. But on Monday mornings and also my team and I, when we come up here, we go and we come in on Sunday nights and we tend to crank up the... The Aussie rock. Yeah. So Sunday night this week we had Hunters and Collectors, yeah. a bit of Cold Chisel, Midnight Oil, you know, or sometimes it's motivational tunes, you know, because in this place you've got to like power up. Yeah. So my favourite running song is Sia Titanium. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes Ange, my chief of staff, and I just crank that up on the speaker in the office and do a bit of... A boogie? Yeah, right. Just on a Monday morning before, so before we hit singing, the chamber. So we've got singing and dancing. Good work. That's all right. Why don't we do that, Dan? We should dancing. give that a go. We should do that. Yeah. We should do a, uh, we could get in and do a bit of a uh, collaboration together. <laughs> you can sing, I'll dance. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to be perfectly honest. Not a good dancer, not a good singer, but I'll try. I'll put it out there and give it a go. All right. Yes. Excellent. Well, Zari, thank you very much for coming on. Do you have any questions for us? Anything you'd like to hear from us because Gordy here has a fascination of tin chicken, which makes me sick. Ugh. But uh, it's quick. It's what even is that? Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's pre-cooked it? in a in a tin, and you can just open and eat it and get it done. Yeah, good night shift food. But no, I'll think of some questions, then I'll get you on my podcast. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, we'll, we'll flip it. All right, sounds good. <laughs> sounds Titanium good. intro music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes. thank you so much, Zoe. It's Pleasure. been a, been fantastic to talk to you today, and um, we'll see you soon. Right, out. And thank you for saying the hunter was best. <laughs> and to all the listeners out there and the viewers that are watching this, you heard that the hunter is best. We've had our first person tell us that, so let's keep working with that, Gordy. Dan has a pathology, and I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'll see you all on the coast soon. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you.